Ruben Brousseau introduces himself. He's the lead of Coven Acaba. We've met him before. He's also in Marauders. He became the ambassador. From the UK to Krakoa as the, the treaty Krakoa. was broken off. Yeah, and then kind of broke the treaty off. But he's also a wizard. He's a real Ravenclaw type of bitch. Yeah, he's a, he, <laughs> he runs a magic school and he's a bigot. <laughs> <laughs> and he lives in England. Anyway. <laughs> X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is Marvel's Teeny Howard. What are you doing here? I came here to have a drink and read a comic. We are going to be reading Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain number one, which is out today, February 22nd, at your local comic shop, wherever fine comics are sold. If you're in Los Angeles... You probably have maybe an hour right now to get to that comic shop out in Ventura if you want to meet with us. That's right. Arsenal Comics and Games in Ventura. I'll be signing there from 4 to 6 p.m. on uh, Wednesday, which is release day. Which is today. So, Well, it's just today for you guys. Yeah, today. I'm doing a Beyonce drop with the comic of this. Yeah. So that's today. So come find us. Come find us. Say hi. L.A. Zalagang, turn up. We're there and here simultaneously. It's a time warp, which is something that is not completely foreign to Captain's Britain. It's a cross-time caper. It is. Teeny, first of all, great to have you back on the show. I always enjoy having you on the show. Oh, uh, we should probably let people know now that we're in the same place, so I'm going to make stupid faces at yeah, Connor no, the whole so time. We're, just- uh, we're sitting in my living room. This is the third guest after Jordan Block and Josh Trujillo to be sitting in my living room recording we have been celebrating the 10 out of 10 review of Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain number one from AIPT. That was very exciting. Pretty chic. Yeah. So, you know. It's been getting really, really good reviews, which I'm really excited for because I worked really, really hard on it. And after the years I've spent with Betsy, when I got this opportunity, I remember I said to Connor a lot that all I can do is just write the best number one I can. People seem to be liking it. Which is cool. I think it's the best number one that you've ever done. And I know that I tell you that a lot, but that's because, surprise, doing more of them makes you get better at them, no, it turns out. It's true. It, it is very, very, very <laughs> true. I think I remember there's something that people like artists talk about. And I think I first remember hearing about it, reading something like a post from Jamie McKelvey is about how like as an artist, you get to a point where you're kind of always catching up to yourself, right? So you have a moment where you think you're really, really good at what you do. You're like, wow, I'm really, really happy. And then your taste becomes more like mature and complex because of just you grow as an artist. And so you start having different influences. And then so when you let those influences influence you, you look back at your work and you say, oh, I hate it now. I'm bad at this. Unfortunately. mm. And then you take from those influences and you internalize them and you work hard and you change and you take your notes and you eat your vegetables and you do your push-ups. And then you're like, oh, I love my work again. (laughs) Well, you and I were just looking at the sample pages of something I've been working on. And I was just telling you that I rewrote all the dialogue because while I was scripting that, which for listeners, my independent horror comic project with Josh Cornillon is coming. We're going to be talking about it when we can. It's a process, but teeny like it's really good it's really really good (laughs) 
I just read the latest version of it and it's good. I'm the weird horror girl. I love Infinity Pool. I love, I mean, Mulholland Drive is for the girlies. Our favorite. Yeah, it's our favorite movie. So uh, I was like, oh, this is, this is really, really, really good. The art is beautiful. The writing is, is just so cool. Just the teaser has such like great horror vibes. But we're here to talk about your comics, so enough, Ugh, enough, enough. But I'm just we? saying, I was just telling you that I rewrote all the dialogue in that because while I was scripting it, Devil's Reign X-Men came out and I was reading Jerry's pages on that and I was just like, oh, the way the dialogue hits here is so cinematic and smart that I emailed Josh. I was like, I actually am sending you a new draft because the dialogue needs to change. The panels are the same. Draw the, draw the, yeah, no, no, no. The and same I, panels, I was, I was just telling him that I was like, you know, my, I always love to like shout out my influences. It's really fun to me to point to my creative ancestors. And I was like, yeah, you know, Jerry's definitely someone who I learned that like it's okay to, not just okay, like Jerry's someone who I learned like Greek timing from. His comic timing on the page, you oh. can tell he started in television, but it's very, it's rare and special. I read a Jerry script this week that you guys won't read for, for like a, a year. Like, a, <laughs> like it's, it was, an, no, maybe half a year. I don't Jerry's know. fast. It might Jerry, be like six months. <laughs> Jerry wrote, I just, I read and it was like an early version and I just I read it with like my mouth open and immediately after was just like my man there is one specific line that just hits like a goddamn hammer and he's just the master of that and if you guys are not reading his Iron Man run right now it's really good I'm an Iron Man super fan Teeny loves Iron Man more than most people I've ever met this is not life. an Iron Man podcast this is not an Iron Man podcast but Teeny loves Iron Man and if you love Jerry if you love his work if you love Marauders and how like sexy and smart and cool and just like gritty it could be uh it's great like tony stark is working out of a taxi cab not a, not a taxi cab a taxi cab um station depot depot, yeah, taxi depot. depot. teeny is like four issues ahead of us so if she says no it's good, i'm not are you not i thought you'd read a couple that have like not come out yet i think you? three came out last week and i've read it so I, oh you're right so now we are I'm caught, caught up, up with you guys so all three the first three issues are out and you guys if you're going especially if you're going to pick up betsy braddock in britain Pick up the first three issues of Jerry's Iron Man because it's if you're a Tony fan or if you're just a Jerry fan, he'll make you a Tony fan. It's really, well, really good. And let's be honest, Betsy Braddock and Tony Stark are two characters who absolutely would know each other. And it's a little weird that they've never interacted on panel before. No comment, baby. I wasn't asking for one. I was just making an <laughs> observation. Yeah, no, I agree. I, um, they're two of my favorite characters. And it'd be interesting if they had it'd be you great know, a to history see of them, some kind. Yeah, hang, hang out and have a truce or not. <laughs> We'll see. Anyway, we are here to talk about Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, number one. Teeny graciously allowed me to read this a little bit early because she was interested in my thoughts. And you are a member of the press. Well, that's the thing. So, like, I haven't revealed this on the pod yet because I have felt weird about saying it because it makes me feel very bougie. But you're going to power through it. As of 2023, your girl is on the review copies list. So I do now get issues a couple days in advance and it helps me prepare the podcast because Marvel Comics graciously has recognized that my podcast has a lot of listeners and is an influential thing. So I'm very, very grateful, but also extremely excited to get to read things a little early and not be freaked out every Tuesday about spoilers but also, <laughs> I'm reading much more widely now than I would because I was yeah. spending so much fucking money on just the X-Men titles. I mean, I've been in comics in a way to like support my habit since like 
2014, 2015, whenever I, you know, first started working at Paste, which is really funny because my editor, one, well, one of my, you know, editors back when I worked at, at Paste Comics was Steve Fox, who is now, yes, who's one of my best friends and also like a cohort in the X office now. Friend of the pod, a guest on my North Star episode. I love him. Fantastic. He's... And now like an X office staple, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were really happy to bring him in for Secret X-Men and then now he's just like, he's so good. He's so good, man. I read that for Secret X-Men issue and I was just like... Damn, like, I, <laughs> we should have hired you much, much sooner. Like, he's just so good. And then that annual with Firestar was fantastic. Yes. I've seen some pages from his next project, and they're gorgeous. Listen, he put Zaladane into the Hellfire Gala at X-Men 92 purely as a favor to me that he got to surprise me with, much to my squeals of delight. He's an absolute sweetheart. Fans of the pod are going to go nuts for the next Steve Fox joint. The thing about Steve Fox is I say this to him whenever we talk. If it's not me, I'm glad it's you. <laughs> about any project he gets to write because they're all we have very similar tastes and so everything that he he said to me once he was like I've had to stop looking at the Cerebrocast Twitter and I've like muted it because you're always talking about characters I'm presently writing that's why I don't listen to the pod you guys no I know that's like <laughs> that's my secret is I don't listen to the pod as much as I love you all and the pod and it's because like part of the fun of it is you guys speculate about characters and you speculate about stories and I'm just like I just I I can't listen to it because it's my job to not listen to it or my other confession that I told Kieran on his podcast that I can't read once in future yeah because Kieran is already so influential on me as a writer that if I read him doing doing similar, Arthurian stuff you're just going to absorb it. it will and I can't help that it's because I love his work I've met a lot of wonderful podcasters who talk about x-men and I've told them, like, even Jay Edidin, who has been on this show, I've been on that show. So have I, actually. Yeah, I love Jay. Apart from my episode, though, I have not listened to it since I started this show because I don't want to accidentally absorb someone yeah. else's thought and then, like, present it as my thought or whatever, you know? Yeah, and, you know, I just want to say, this is also a thing that I feel like happens, like, people will come up to me at a con to have, like, a book of mine signed and then they'll be like, oh, but I haven't read this other thing of yours yet, sorry. Or sometimes they'll, like, apologize to me for not having seen the latest, like, Marvel movie movie or something I'm like well, no one has to apologize for what they have or haven't read I have dear friends that have been pouring their heart and soul into projects that I've chosen to not absorb for really personal reasons you know like your I'm, husband doesn't read your Marvel comics because he doesn't like X-Men yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he reads my DC work and no, like but he reads he, like a lot of my other stuff no but, and he's asked me he's an angel Blake you two just co-wrote yeah, or just, is, is it still ongoing or is it about no, to end well, it just it's, ended we finished you yeah. finished writing it the punchline Gotham game miniseries which has been pretty well received is my understanding yeah it's been really really fun I just know that every con I've been to this year your punchline cosplayers have come up to you to be excited about oh, her I getting love her own them. Book. They're all great. But Blake doesn't like the X-Men, so he no, hasn't he doesn't, read. He doesn't, he doesn't you've read written stuff. like 40 issues about yeah. Superman at this point. He's read not uh, a one of them. Actually, that's not true. He read the first arc of Excalibur, which I'm like, that is the worst part of Excalibur. I wish you would read the rest. <laughs> <laughs> it was your first ongoing. No, I know. I if know. the first four issues know, can't be like, a little shaky. But like in retrospect, he's like, I read that. And I'm like, that's why you haven't read the rest. You're like, please <laughs> read the rest of it. It gets so good right after the war wolves. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I promised 
Issue nine is where it locks in. Oh, no, it's earlier than that. You lock in earlier than that. I promise but, you. But yeah, uh, so no, he does. He, whenever I'm like, he doesn't read my work. I'm like, that's not true. He actually, he actually reads a lot of my work. But it's like, no, funny. you guys have collaborated. I mean, you collaborated on Vampire the Masquerade. You've collaborated yeah. on this. It's, yeah. He's got some solo work coming up, and the I'm super excited about it. The point that she's making is that <laughs> you don't have to read it if the person who she shares her bed with does not. Right, read exactly. It. Like, nobody yeah. has to read anything specific. Like, I'm behind on Catwoman. Yeah, like, don't apologize when it's you haven't good, read though. people's. Thank you. Shout out to. Listener Cyporian, Teeny is drinking her beverage out of the Apocalypse Tiki mug. I am. That she sent to me. It is such a beautiful little Green Lagoon item that exists somehow. Well, your husband's very into 3D printing also. So he I is, could... but he has a different kind. This is like lightweight. He has the kind that's like, it's like resin and it makes like mm-hmm. miniatures and little little things for cosplay and stuff. This is like this big lightweight. No, this feels... is like some artist's machine yeah. that i don't understand i think it's filament is what it is because i can see the little lines i think it's called filament printing and the color is so good i i yeah i couldn't help it connor has them displayed beautifully in his house and i had to go grab one to put my drink in no and i support you and i am only not drinking out of the sentinel one because i didn't think of it but i might for the next round that we do which i'm sure we'll do at some point i'm sure we will yeah but i'm gonna be editing this podcast so that you'll never know no one listening to this will have any idea that it's a Friday night before a long weekend. Oh, and we both had such a week. We've had a <laughs> long week. We both had just such a week. So I, we're glad we had this planned. Wow, it was a week. <laughs> it's fine. We're moving on. And you just had a long week of like... It was just a long week in comics and personal life stuff. Is hard. And exciting stuff, like good stuff. I had a meeting this week for a project that I have coming up with an artist that is like one of... One of your favorite people to work with. One of my favorite people to work with and one of the biggest comic artists in the world. Yeah. Someone who has just changed the industry. And that project's gonna bang. I had a meeting about that today and it just like really made me happy. And then I had a meeting with, you know, some of my my Gotham City co-writers. And also I woke you up this morning with a text. Oh, and you you woke me up this morning with a good (laughs) review. Well, not this morning because it's Wednesday, right? Yes. It's last week. On Friday. Yeah. No, I. Last Friday morning, I woke you with a text because the reviews with Betsy Buttercup and Britain number one were in. And let me be clear, honey, they're raves. They were really good. And I I was also really uh, happy for that because like, I don't know, a big goal for me on this book was accessibility, which is something I'm not always good at. And that's because sometimes I read a Grant Morrison comic and I'm like, oh, that's mother. That's mother. Oh, that's mother. That unintelligible nonsense. That's mother. Grant Morrison, mother of the house. Mother of the house of Morrison. Because of that, accessibility is not always my strong suit, but it was a real goal of mine with this comic because she's been part of such a overwhelming. I mean, at this point, I would be overwhelmed getting into the Krakow era. So I, I mean, like if I were a reader, so I understand that it can be overwhelming at this point. So I really wanted to make a new book where it was like Betsy versus the rest of the world, you know, a Captain Britain book that was about Captain Britain. And that was essentially an X-Men solo, which is something I'd never gotten the chance to do before. Very few people get the chance to do it. X-Men solos are not that common a thing. And uh, Betsy Braddock has had only one in a Psylocke. So... Like, yeah, it was Ninja Betsy had a Chris Yost mini that's interesting, but definitely about Matsuo and the hand yeah. and she's in her ninja body and yeah. all that. It is, though, actually a really great through line with your run with Betsy. If people haven't read it, because 
she spends a lot of time ruminating on the body swap and her body anxieties and things. Yeah. Because Matsuo is dead, as of that, Minnie, you can't deal with him and he's like one of her big traumas. You're dealing with pretty much all her other big traumas. So if you want to see Betsy deal with Matsuo, it's that miniseries. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like whenever I, I look at like the past of a character, I'm always, I try to be grateful. Like that's stuff you added, you know, because when I come across stuff that I don't want to quote unquote deal with, like I don't. Right. But a lot of the time, it's like, okay, great. This adds exactly to what I'm doing. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's cool that Betsy, as Betsy, has never had a solo Yeah, before. I'm excited that it's Betsy, like, as herself. As like, Betsy Braddock. As Betsy Braddock. And, like, for sure, like, we see, like, Strike and stuff show up. Like, things that are part of Betsy Braddock's life before she was an X-Men. Before she was a character ever called Psylocke. The yeah. The stuff from... What I think is Alan Moore's finest big two work. I agree. I mean, well, Watchmen is whether or not one's use it as big two is complicated. Yeah. Leaving that aside. His Captain Britain stuff is my favorite. I think favorite Captain Britain is big the best stuff. big two thing he ever did. And the way he wrote her character is so indelible to me. Me too. There are very few writers. Chris Claremont, obviously, he created the character and he loved the Alan Moore stuff so much that he absorbed Moore's version into his version of Betsy. But apart from Chris Claremont, honestly, there are very few writers who I ever feel have nailed this character who I love so much. Fabian Iciesa, who I'm a huge fan of, was on this show and he said, oh, when I was writing the Ninja Psylocke, I didn't think of that as Betsy Braddock yeah. at all. She was a new character. Well, and, and Leah had the opportunity to do some Betsy work. And that was, was the first one yeah. where I said this. And I think it does owe to having a woman write this character for the first time. I think Julia oh, yeah. Wilson got to do a fill-in at one point. And, you know, there'll be Psylocke in the background of uh, Pixie Strikes Back. Or whatever. But in terms of, like, let's focus on Betsy. Leah was the first woman ever to yeah. really take time with this character. That was the first time where I felt like I was recognizing the Betsy that I loved so much in my childhood in a long time. And then everything you've done has just been, I mean, that's how we met was I was with Steve Orlando at a con and I was like can you introduce me to Teeny Howard because I love <laughs> this new volume of Excalibur. I'm glad yeah I mean and I definitely am a big Alan Moore fan and Alan Moore's version of Betsy is really intelligent to me. I love the way Alan Moore writes women. I know it's something that causes fights online and whatever. But um, there are, I mean, it's not perfect. No, but, but there, that's I mean, part of what is interesting. As about. a young comic fan who didn't read superhero comics, there are just a lot of things that I saw in his work that I hadn't seen. Women who seemed real to me in ways they hadn't often seemed in other books. I feel like he always wrote his women as being really intelligent and savvy in a way that. I enjoyed. Yeah, because you came in from the Vertigo stuff before you were reading superheroes. I came to Captain Britain because I was an Alan Moore fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. that's what brought me to read Captain Britain. And the first stuff I read was that insane, like, Marvel's 10-pager. And I still think that's one of the best Marvel comics The one where published. they resurrect him? And yes. The, yeah. And it's it's insane. And I was like, that, that might have been the first Captain Britain issue I ever read. And I was like, I'm obsessed with this. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is so cool. Like, it, this is... The kind of, I mean, you know, ironically, because I know that uh, Sorcerer Moore feuds with Mother Morrison or whatever right. on the astral plane. But which it's, sounds... that's like very, my parents got a divorce. Yes. Like that's very spiritually <laughs> to me, like, 
I don't know. Like that's the kind of comics I like writing are things that like turn them inside out and observe them, but like sincerely, not with this layers and layers of irony, this eye rolling. Oh, it's we're getting the end of the world again. Like right. Well, that happened. You don't want right. to do that, but you do want to deconstruct. Like Alan Moore's characters would be cynical, but also would be horrified by shit in a way that made you horrified by it too. Mm-hmm. And like the cynicism of his work. Anyway, this is not an Alan Moore podcast. No, it's not. But <laughs> the point I was trying to make was just that Betsy Braddock is a really complicated character. And I know that you know that and that you appreciate that. And there are people for whom the ninja Betsy, who is less legible to me as Betsy Braddock, is Betsy. And that's just how it is. It's just wild to me because whenever people are like, but I miss that ninja Betsy. I'm like, her name is Kanon. She exists. She's a, her own woman and she's really cool. She's in a super hot relationship. She is in a whole lot of comics right now. Like we yeah. kept that character. That character she's still exists. Extremely cool. Like... She's in some comics I wrote. Which like, are some of the best issues of Excalibur, thank I Thank you. I really like those ones. Like, metatextually, right? Obviously, what's also important is that Kanan is a Japanese woman. Metatextually, she is that version of the character. Because that's why Nisiesa created her, was to explain the personality change. And so, to in a book about Betsy's team, be like, here's the other version of this character that people really love. They both matter. They're both part of each other, but they also can't remain one thing now. It no. doesn't work anymore. Yeah, making them a like a constant team up would not would not work either. Um oh I'll give you guys a tidbit, I guess. Uh one of those Excalibur issues is called They Keep Killing Braddocks and it's a they keep killing Madrox <laughs> reference. Yes. Because I like that art, that arc of X Factor a lot. Warts and all, this is an X Factor Investigations Defense Zone. We <laughs> can't do that. But I... um, but yeah, it's a, it's specifically a reference to to they keep killing Madrox, which I think is actually uh, he that he made that reference based on like a Doctor Who thing. But I don't watch Doctor Who, so no. I, don't, I don't know what that is. I watched Torchwood because there were gay people in it. Yeah, I watched the ones with Alex Kingston, and then when those got bad, I stopped watching them anyway um this is not a doctor who <laughs> no very not i just love alex kingston because of er baby dr Elizabeth oh Cordae. yeah she's extremely beautiful dr coldray i love er i loved er too carrie weaver hive oh yeah we watched a lot of er for the kids er was yeah. gray's anatomy before gray's anatomy and it won a bunch of emmys and george clooney was on it yeah er walked so gray's anatomy could stumble <laughs> um, sorry they're probably gray's anatomy fans you should no 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 i'll i think even the biggest shondaland heads will admit that gray's i mean gray just left gray's anatomy so i okay. think that people are largely in the camp that it probably should be put out to pass and you know here's point. the thing i'll be honest i was not into Grey's anatomy the way i was in dr i think well because... my thing was i felt like i was like we already did yes. this it was called er so you know what i shouldn't shit on Grey's anatomy i'm just older i was this is how age. i feel about x23 excuse me wolverine right laura kinney is the magic of the generation under mine right like they're both very silly high octane action heroine characters and i didn't get Laura Kinney when she first debuted on the scene. But that's because Magic is my version of that character. Why is my mutant I imprinted on as a teenager Richter? Like, why? Why everyone? Like, why depressed did I... Catholic reasons? Yes. Like, exactly. <laughs> depressed, <laughs> depressed queer Catholic reasons. But I was like, whenever I think of like, who's that character when I was like, I was a teenager and I was like, 
you're me. I'm like, why was it never magic for me? Why was it never expected? Like, those, those seem like layups. I'm like, it was Richter for some fucking reason. Like, well, Jubilee yeah. when I was a little girl. Right. But Richter when I was a teenager. Yeah. See, my thing was, as one of those, like, born 30 children, in, like, a very, like, catty gay way, I went directly from Kitty Pride to Betsy Braddock, which was, like, a very specific trajectory. The pipeline. Yeah, and then, thank God, Mava Morrison came in with Emma because that was more, like, water sign vibe, which was easier for me. Because Betsy is a Taurus, canonically, but, yes. like, is. Yes, very much. Stubborn and beautiful. Yeah. She's a little more aggro than I think I am, but I love and respect that about her. Well, I mean, also, like, New X-Men was sexy and grown up in a way. Like, you and I are of an era where there used to be, like, you know, movies that only adults go to <laughs> that weren't horror movies. Right. Like, there used to be, like... Erotic Erotic drama. thrillers. Yeah. yeah. Like, Connor and I are of an era where there was very much, like, stuff that felt titillating and sexy because it was for grown-ups, but it was, like, in actuality boring and bad it's shit like disclosure yeah like or like unfaithful which is pretty good but like you get what i'm saying right. it's like devil's advocate which oh. i mean i like listen have i watched devil's advocate a lot <laughs> yes is it a good movie i don't think oh, so it's certainly not no but like there was an era of that where there was like a lot of sex er was one of those things like staying up with my mom to watch er was like a grown-up my mother experience. and i watched sex in the city every weekend Same, my mother and i, I watched was, it like, together 12 we didn't have HBO. My mom got the DVDs and we would watch them together. One time we had HBO because my parents were attorneys. Disgusting. First to the chopping block. It's true. Put me before the, yeah, I should be on Microman's podcast. Um, but the, uh, no, but so we were watching it and actually, so like I'm 12, right? I was just talking about this with my uncle because we were talking about how the slogan, like it's not TV, it's HBO really fucking hit at the time. It did. And part of that in my memory is my grandmother, Joan Goldstein, may she rest in peace, was at our home and mom and I are going to watch Sex and the City and we can't like not let grandma watch TV with us. Right. right? This is her mother-in-law. I got to know which episode it was. So I can tell you exactly. I don't remember the name of it, but it's the one where Samantha gets railed against the fire truck. Okay. Kim Cattrall is fully nude. The firefighter is mostly nude, save for like firefighter accoutrements. Yeah. They're fucking against the fire it's truck. It's one of the more graphic, it's naked, one of the most graphic sex scenes, scenes in that in entire that show. show. Yeah. yeah. And as it wraps up, Joan Francis Grady Goldstein, the Dolly Gallagher Levi of my heart, looks at us and says, Television certainly has changed a lot. And I looked at her. All 12 gay years of me and said, Grandma, it's not TV. It's HBO. Bitch! That's the HBO sound. All right. So we're a half an hour in now. And we haven't talked about the comic yet. Banter. So yeah, I think we probably should start talking about your comic book. Oh, but no, the point that I was making that will bring us back to the comic book is that I think that's why New X-Men hit for so many of us of a certain era was that it felt like the sexy grown up version of X-Men. Like I grew up watching that cartoon and I was like, yeah, these were pretty cool, but like they're kid stuff. Right. And then seeing New X-Men was like, oh, no, like this is grown up. 
this is for gross. Yeah. Um, and I absolutely ate it up for that reason because I was like, they're being kinky. Yeah. And I was in high school. So I was specifically like, please validate my sense that I am an adult. Thank right, you. Right. Exactly. It was that exact vibe. It was what, 2001. So I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. So I was like dying to be seen as an adult. So seeing something that I loved as a kid be brought back as like this super sexy. I was in eighth grade, fresh off of 9-11. Oh. We were all just figuring out what ninth grade would be like yeah so the america of the 90s had utterly evaporated and the 90s are over the 20th century is over ah now we're in a century that's nothing but hell for the rest of time yeah but i've gotten to write some comic books you've gotten to write some comics i have a podcast (laughs) we're doing great We've only been through eight recessions as yeah, young adults. I, I, like I've said before, I've never had enough money for a recession to affect me. I just fiddle while Rome burns. <laughs> so, Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, number one. That's the name of the book, baby. Don't wear it out. This cover by Erica D'Urso is a lot of fun. I see it as sort of Betsy and Rachel's imagined homecoming that is not really what happened which i like i love the blue roses in the foreground gorgeous it's such a cool part of her design that marcus toe who originally designed the captain britain betsy armor added in that she wears these blue kind of krakoa flowers in her hair but they've often been drawn as roses and i think they're beautiful and i love i love people throwing the roses at her and they're sort of like colored blue by the lighting but they manage to look blue i don't know blue roses are kind of a cool symbol of rarity and magic it's very lynch yeah I don't know. I love a blue rose and I love the implication of it. I love sweet little Rachel with her like favor from her maiden just doing. (laughs) Yes, it's a beautiful cover. Erica's great. It's a beautiful cover. Yeah. So we open on the BBC's Cross of Swords with Reginald Cross. I I have to admit, I always hear it in my mind as like a like Richard Ayoade in uh, Dark Place, like Cross of Swords with Reginald Cross. (laughs) Oh, and I guess I should say that the reason it's called Cross of Swords is because once a fan said to me, and if you're if you're a Cerebro fan, please, please let Connor and I know if it's you. Uh, a fan once said to me at a con that they thought it was like Ten of Swords or X of Swords. It's a question I get all the time. And I'm like, it's Ten of Swords, but I don't care if you say it. X right. of Swords, it's fine. And someone said to me once, I thought it was Cross of Swords. So I was like, ah, not X or Ten, but a secret third thing. <laughs> You were also like, I wish I had thought of that. Right. I was like, well, that's brilliant. Uh, that's a great way to read it. That's very clever. So I, when I had to name my little BBC pundit show, I don't know why I thought Cross of Swords was a funny name for it. And I was like, well, it has to be like a pun. The guy's name has to be like Reginald Cross. You get a lot accomplished in this first scene. Reginald Cross covers Betsy's backstory a little bit for new readers. And then you reintroduce the Alan Davis character Micromax. In a new role, Micromax was, of course, Al Ewing's nomination for the X-Men vote last year. Micromax as like a political like mouthpiece is totally an Al Ewing idea. That is something that Al absolutely has like been joking about in the Slack forever. And I was basically just like, can I? Like, I asked his permission. <laughs> I was like, can I? And he was like, please. Can I use Micromax? I don't want to take Micromax right? from you. And like, the problem is, is my entire characterization of Micromax at this point is this joke Al has been making is about the joke Scott Al Ray. makes in the slack about Micromax. Yeah, yeah, it has been making for like two years now. So <laughs> three, you know, I was so I was just like, oh, my God, Al, like, please, can I? And he was like, yeah, of course. So uh, shout out to Al Ewing for that. He has been 
barking up that tree for micromance. Uh, it was it was just so funny to me. What's also helpful to have British people you can talk to in the office when you're doing British culture jokes. It so is. And I, I lean on them a lot for that. I bounce things off of them if I think something might be offensive. I uh, bounce things off of them if I'm not sure something is funny or if it's like a joke an American would make. Right. It's like, is this Americans making fun of British people or is this British people making fun yeah. of each other is sort of yeah, the question, like, right? Yeah. And like I, you know... <laughs> I try to insert myself in a way like, you know, to read British news sources and, and I'll often like watch programs and I'll like leave it on in the background sometimes while I write for like stuff I've already watched just because sometimes listening to people speak in a certain cadence while I'm writing dialogue and I'm writing a room full of British characters can just help me. Like, yeah, it helps you make them sound more authentic. Yeah, you can just listen to how people speak and get a cadence that feels appropriately British without relying on tropes or accents. or Right, you don't want to do a caricature. You want it to sound like someone on the BBC actually mm-hmm. talking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of reference in just like listening to that and writing what I hear. But uh, yeah, the whole... Using Micromax specifically as the anti-Betsy on this is, is was just Al Ewing's brilliance, and I had to ask him because <laughs> also such a fun send up to the Alan Davis run of Excalibur. You revived Kailan for Knights of X. It's fun to see those characters get more play. I feel like you just need Farron and Cerise to turn up, and you've got the hat trick. Uh, sure. Well, the other angle of this is that it's a kind of a nod to Alan Moore, Captain Britain. Alan Moore loves a TV. Mm-hmm. No one loves a TV and a comic book more than Alan Moore. And so it was kind of a like, we have to, I want to start with TV. And I, and I get it. Like Alan's work is a lot of social commentary and like what better way to do that. Than to show a broadcast. Than to show what the media is saying, right. you know, and to show it with this heavy dose of irony. I feel like that's always what's going on. I mean, Frank Miller does that too a lot. You know, it's all over Dark Knight Returns. But I love that in a comic. I love when you see just the presence of something being on TV, on broadcast news. We know that broadcast news does not exist for information. It exists for entertainment. If you're getting most of your news from broadcast news, stop. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) That is made to entertain you, not to educate you. And I feel like that's a fun thing to play with. Yeah, fun thing to play with. And Chris has done this too. I always like the way Captain Britain comics play with the media. And so I leaned into that heavy here, which I do on the next page too. Yes, because the next page is The Reflector, which I assume is a cheeky nod to the mirror. No comment. This is a really fun send-up of not just tabloid culture, but specifically British tabloid culture. It reads to me like a Daily Mail page or, you know, one of those, The Sun, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not hard if you are trying to write something from the British media that wants to comment on potential rifts within a family and crazy places, you might look for that. Like, it's not hard to find inspiration. There are (laughs) tens of millions of dollars put every year into insane British media coverage of certain aristocratic families. families. Right. The body language... That's my favorite part. That is from a mirror. Like, that is from me looking at the mirror. No, that's ideas. a Harry and Meghan yeah. and William and yeah. Kate article. I mean, that yeah. is the body language expert thing was absolutely taken from reality because it was one of those things I saw and I was like, this seems like a joke from a comic and I can just <laughs> put it in and it's real. Uh, I also really, really love Sarah Brunstad, our editor, chose these. I really, really like that the photos she chooses are like one of Brian looking really, really great. And one of and Betsy, Betsy in front of the in burning, hell, in front, in front of, of, of the burning ben. Big Ben in the pocket dimension. Burning. It's, it didn't even 
happen? How no. did they get that photo? How did they get this photo? It's from the pocket dimension issue that the book got stuck on because of COVID for like four right. months. Right. So like, I love that it's in her in front of Burning Big Ben. Like, Mahmoud Asrar, you sold her out to the mirror. This photojournalist, Mahmoud Asrar, really just... Which I, I love another thing that we started doing in this book is whenever I reference art in the data pages, it's like a photo. Did or... you know that's actually her picture now on Wikipedia? <laughs> It is a beautiful cover. It really is. <laughs> but like, but like some enterprising Wikipedia editor, <laughs> they fixed it. So like Psylocke now directs to a disambiguation page. Do you want Betsy or Conan? And Betsy and Conan have these individual pages. And it's so the page is Betsy Braddock. But the image in the profile now is this cover of Big Ben burning that behind just, her. That's great. Honestly. That's like my energy. Like it's like Homer Simpson energy. Yeah, like, it's fun. When they talk about him on the news and like the only picture they have of him is him like eating a spoiled sandwich or and something. Like, oh, God, how'd they get that one? Yeah, it's like local man and it's him like naked wrestling a pig. But this is also a great page because it helps explain for new readers because I know so many people who jumped on with Krakoa and there's a reason that Betsy is the first episode of Cerebro. It's because her history is uniquely confusing. So it's a great rundown of all that. It reminds people who Brian is, if they're not familiar. There's been a lot of chatter about Brian recently because of MCU speculation and stuff. So I think people are becoming more aware that there is a character called Captain Britain, yeah. but not everybody. Actually, I think what happened in this will become funny later is I think that there were so many explainers about why Captain Carter is not Captain Britain that people then started looking up who is Captain Britain. <laughs> yeah. Which is a notion we'll play with. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it does a good job of establishing like, here's Brian's deal. Here's what people thought about Brian. Here's this sneaky mutant spy woman. Yeah, and like, and it's also, it was, you know, it, I think one of the things about Brian that's really funny is that he like rejects that a lot of bad people are the ones, like if he were a worse person, he would be fighting with his sister right now, you know? Like, right. There are people that would accept him as Captain Britain without the sword, without the sitter, anything. They would dress him in a suit and tell him to punch people. Well, again, like a royal dispute, like who is the heir to mm -hmm. the throne of Avalon is essentially the question here, mm -hmm. right? And... All three of the siblings have their own opinions on that. Brian could very easily, yes, be contesting the throne if he wanted to. He would have the popular support, but he's not interested in doing that. Yeah. So it was like it, it was it was a good way for me to like make the point that there are people that would give Brian this job in their own way in a heartbeat if he was uh, willing to do it in any way. And I love Brian Braddock. He's in this book a lot. He does some really incredibly cool stuff that I'm really excited and I just saw some really cool art of. So yeah, it was important to me to be like, we're not acting like there never was a Brian. Right. Know? We're not, this is not a situation where we're pretending that this transfer of power didn't happen. It happened in the story and the characters address it, which I think is good. I also loved before it was clear that as the issue goes on, she actually will appear. The shout out to Dr. Faiz Hussein, the protagonist of Captain Britain MI-13 by Paul Cornell, which is one of my favorite Marvel comics of the 21st century. So it's always a treat when Faiza shows up. Yeah, I love her. And I, I really just hadn't had a good place to use her so far because so much of the story was really mutant focused. And I already had like, for various reasons, like more humans in it than I knew what to do with. Right. <laughs> so I really did never have a place to bring her in. But here it was like, I feel like it, it would have been a huge, a huge oversight not to. And I think it's really obvious why she'd kind of be on Betsy's side, you know, like mm -hmm. she's not seen as 
an ideal wielder of Excalibur no more than Betsy is seen as an ideal Captain Britain and even more so in some ways because of the real world violence. of the real world things that are yeah yeah like, the real world violence against Pakistani people in the UK as opposed to mutants who are not real Fiction. so it was right. important to bring in a character who is experiencing a real yeah and, form of and she's a great in character she shows up several times again in the series she's not going anywhere i'd wanted to use her for a while. and she's another she's another character that it's great to talk to the other writers who have written her before who love her yeah no i bet so on page one betsy is like she gets a mental signal during the interview and that's rather convenient i suppose right like yeah the host <laughs> is like oh a mutant psychic fit hmm how convenient you can't answer my cool question right what if she gets her period and launches a nuclear weapon? Right. But she's actually being contacted by Britannica Rex, the adorable Captain Britain of Earth 99476. I, I adore her. her. Her grandiose speechifying at the end of the world <laughs> is truly beautiful to me. I, I really made clear. I was like, here's the thing, guys. She's psychic. So, like, we're not going to have a talking dinosaur, but she has, like, a fully beautifully realized poetic art, like, despite being It reminded me dinosaur. of dinosaur comics, like, when they would have those huge speech bubbles. <laughs> yes. Like, that's the vibe. And it was so funny to have that in the middle of, like, the superhero comic was like, but here's a little dinosaur comics interlude. I loved it. I love that she's so sincere. I don't know why. Uh, I think it was because when I was like, I should start this comic with dinosaur captain britain i was like it's really stupid teeny you have to like <laughs> put some heart into it and like Make i try for this dinosaur <laughs> yeah like i tried but like i i don't know man that's part of the fun of captain britain right making serious of worlds that might seem silly or, or strange making them feel real like it's a common complaint not just among fans among editorial that when you start playing in other worlds they some people are like sometimes people's eyes glaze over. they don't care yeah like you really have to make it the world outside your window is a core part of the Marvel yeah, thing. Yeah, and so if you're going to play in time, you're going to play in the multiverse, like, you have to have it matter to the world back home. But at the same time, I'm someone who's always loved, like, you know, I, they keep killing Madrox. It's a great example of a multiversal stupid story mm -hmm. that I love. So uh, it was really important to me to find a way to, like, <laughs> not just make them silly and link them back. And what we got was a very serious, beautiful dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Betsy then descends from the sky with Rachel. There are little caption boxes explaining who they are. I like that you explain immediately that Betsy's a mutant. Her brother is human, but they were both born to be Captain Brit. Like, because they are half otherworlder humans and she's a mutant, It's but you get it across in like two sentences. <laughs> These two captions took me like an hour. <laughs> Like, that is where my, like, marketing writing kicks in because part of, like, marketing copy is snappiness. Yeah. And it's rewriting the same 10 words over and over and over again for the right cadence, for the right... And you can't do that a lot in comics because you will do it forever. You know, like, every... You you could treat every balloon, like, its own slice of, of copy, you know, and, and that would kill you. You would just take too long and your Ariana would come to my house and break my legs. And she's so sweet. I don't want her to have to do that. Shout out to Letter Ariana Mar. You Ariana Mar. This issue. Incredible. She, I've been working with her for a while. Her and Eric Garcianega, I have been work, working with... Since Excalibur. Since Excalibur. Since, like, early Excalibur. Eric, since very early. And having them as my colorist and letterer is so special because it really, really helps the book feel like the same book in ways that, you know, 
you don't notice it, but your brain does. Like, right. You know, the, the Aria. The continuity between the three, the colors in particular are such a through line. And then the way Ariana does sound effects is so particular. The colors are kind of a, a weird palette and it's so specific to Eric that I, I love it. It's, it's just very him. And then Ariana somehow manages to like balance the fact that I'm pretty wordy with like timing. Mm hmm. And just smart, smart stuff. You know, there are some sound effects in this issue that Connor and I have both been just really, really geeking over because she's just brilliant. She's just really smart. They arrive with Betsy talking about her bad experience with the press. Rachel sasses her a little bit. And Betsy points out that Rachel never used to sass her before they were dating. (laughs) Rachel says, dating? We live together. Which is, (laughs) I've seen the lesbians of Twitter delight in that exchange. Yeah, I mean, they, they do. And it was a good way to drop it. But also it was like, I mean, come on, you guys. Obviously. There are those friends that had a sleepover that never ended. Never. And that's called sapphic culture. <laughs> Shout out to Vasco Georgiev, as I'm looking at this page, for Rachel's undercut, which has also been enormously popular with... Yeah, I was telling Connor, I didn't really realize that people hadn't really clocked how good that haircut is until... Uh... The preview pages went up. Well, yeah. And also Jordan White made those adorable valentines. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And people were like, oh, my God, her hair. And it, yeah, it looks so good. Vasco was really fearless with making Rachel just lesbian hot. Yeah. In a way that I, I really, really appreciate, especially from a male artist. Yeah. I just so appreciate how just, you know, she's not even that butch, but she's pretty no, butch but for like, a big two comic. She's like, the L word butch. Yeah, like exactly. Shane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, she's about as butch as you would expect a superhero big two character to yeah, be. Yeah. Yeah. We see that the impact point, the calamity from the skies that has fallen upon Britannica Rex's world is a fury, but it's a little fury if you are someone who only just met the Furies in Knights of X. And Britannica Rex, who is newer to the role of Captain Britain as a multiversal Betsy, she assumes... Yeah, she's last fought the Furies in Otherworld where they were these kind of Merlin construct fury things that were like sentinels. And you're reifying here that no, 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 this is the Fury. The yeah. Fury kills superheroes. The Fury this is that Alan kills Moore superheroes. Yeah, Fury. And, and him and his ilk are citizens of the Everforge, which we first saw back in Excalibur. But if you're new to it, it's just where the Furies live. And you'll get to see it in a few pages. You will, yeah. It looks great, honestly. It does look great. It really looks great. <laughs> but it's a good way of explaining no, no, no. Because people have, I've seen that question asked of like, why are these Furies not as powerful? And the answer is, as Brian will explain in a few pages, if you make something big, it's not as secure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a piece of like real science I've always really been fascinated with. And I'm pretty sure it's something I looked up when I was a kid and was like, why won't giant ants come to my house and eat me? And Where like, are them? I guess. Those yeah, are exactly. Right. But like, and it's you know, like, yeah. it, it doesn't happen. You know, there's that moment I really like that Vasco killed in the art that I you know, has the line over. This one's a soldier, not a sentinel. Yes. I also love Betsy swinging her sword and sending out like a telekinetic laser beam. It looks awesome. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's like when Link's health is full. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, I love it. (laughs) Like, speak my language. It's when Link's health is full, he can throw his sword. She does that too? Yeah. She does that too. It's my job. 
On the next page, we get Rachel activating her firepower signature that she's had since Knights of X. And she explains that it is her tapping into her status as a star child, as a multiversal anomaly, as the daughter of the Phoenix to tap the multiversal Phoenix force. Exactly. Yeah. So the multiverse knows that she has and can host the Phoenix. And it's kind of like you know it's like chrono skimming or anything else she can touch that moment where she's the phoenix and draw fire from there and it also just you know look everyone on a page can't be throwing colorful blasts right give her something special yeah i think rachel needed a uh like a mage power she needed you know fireballs well because she had them back in the old excalibur like when she was hosting the phoenix the fiery hair the fiery power signature was such a big part of the character yeah I'm glad that you found a way for her to do that without needing to be the host of the Phoenix. Yeah, no, totally. That was that was the goal. Like, I, I wanted her to be able to have fire powers and be a cool fire mage, more mm-hmm. or less, even though she wasn't hosting the Phoenix. And it seemed like a pretty neat way to give her those power. I mean, it's- well, she has a complex history in Otherworld from she way does. back when because she she's an anomaly. So the idea that other worlds would recognize her is not... I like her having mysterious mage shit. I mean, the girl handled Necrom. Like, yeah. I like that she's, you know, spiritually kind of a mage. It's it's good stuff to me. Well, I also like that, like, in the more butch femme dynamic of this relationship, that she's sort of the caster and Betsy's more of the fighter. But she's the more butch one and Betsy's the more femme one. I think that's fun. Yeah, no, that was that was absolutely, like, on purpose. I, I love... I've talked about it before. Like, I, I love a sorceress knight dynamic. Mm-hmm. This is not my joke. This was a meme I saw. But if you feel like playing a game this week with <laughs> war criminal children attending a magical school, might I suggest Final Fantasy VIII? Instead, yeah. Instead, yeah. I love a story of, like, a, a witch and a knight. Um, I mean, I love, you know, I love Yennefer and Geralt. Mm-hmm. And I love that dynamic. But you very rarely see it's always, you know, the, the big warrior guy and his little mage girlfriend, uh, which is hot. We like that. But it's fun to flip it a little. Yeah, I was excited to flip it around. I, I like the femme knight and her butch mage. I think it's a lot of fun. Then we get the title page returns home having changed, which is from Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. And it's what she's doing. It was the <laughs> best possible title. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes just what you're doing is the right title. Yeah. We then get a readout from something called Mother Mind. Mother Mind. Yeah, we're introduced to Mother Mind in this issue, which is what we're calling the new basement computer operated by Brian Braddock. You might remember one called Mastermind. It's not that one. That one went evil. That one went super evil. Super evil. Uh, So it's not him. And I kind (laughs) of called it Mother Mind because of, the history of James Braddock and Mastermind. And his wife. And his wife. And so because of what happened with James Braddock and Mastermind, I thought kind of that they would call this one Mother Mind in like a... It's like the dad computer went bad. Yeah. Let's try a mom computer. Let's try a mom computer. It's not like her soul in it or anything. It's just called that. Yes, if you're wondering, I have accidentally typed Mother Mold like 11 times. <laughs> Mother Mind analyzes the fury and explains to us that it is... similar to the original one, which is from the Alan Moore, Captain Brandon is one of the scariest things ever to appear in a comic book. God, oh, there's a scene in like four and five that I'm really excited about that plays a lot on how I think those scenes are scary. I'm also a big fan of how my bibliography manages to read like an ad. 
Yes. Where I'm like, for additional visual data, see Captain Britain Omnibus Archive. Like, what I mean is like, go read the Captain Britain Omnibus. Please read the Captain Britain Omnibus because all these Alan Moore stories are in it and they're, you can't find them on Marvel Unlimited. So I mean, it was really just my way of being like, so if you like these guys, um, go read more But I also like schematic and photo by Alan Davis. And I like the quote down to the text you wrote for Infury the Everforge for that issue of X-Force. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Because you wrote all of those data pages with like the realms of other I did. I did. I wrote. So you were like, hold on, let me quote myself. Yeah, which is a little Michael Scott of me. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I thought that was cool. It was good to bring it back. And I loved those data pages. So it reminded me like, oh, I should go look at those again because they're well, fun. Yeah. And it was basically me just being like, I don't want to write you guys the same data page on the Furies I've done before. But like, if you want to know where to go read this, like, here's just a quote and you can go read more. You go read Ten of Swords mm-hmm. or that X-Force issue, you know, that was part of Ten of Swords. We're always playing with data pages and new cool things to do with them. And so I've just started outright treating my own meta narrative as a bibliography which i kind of did with apocalypse's grimoire yeah it's something you've done before like referencing yourself but i like that i always enjoy stuff like that it's It's very like pale fire vibes yeah it's i mean it's fun and i always i enjoy like args i enjoy stuff where like the text tells you i I love like house of leaves Mm -hmm. you know yeah i love stuff where the text encourages you to interact that's why i wrote that stupid secret x-men data page where you had to do a word jumble i just i constantly want the text to be encouraging you to interact in new ways so well i'm a big form and content head so we always yeah link up on that but i also like the note here that like which fury is the original fury from richard 38 it doesn't actually actually matter it could be this one it could be a different one it's a hive mind now which is very scary yeah worry about that don't worry about like which one is which yeah because there have been a lot of stories that have been confusing over the years and we just don't need to worry about them yeah i mean and also it's more or less like in this society it's like if you're the baddest prepare to get subsumed by someone else who's the baddest they're mm-hmm. warriors they don't in a society of warriors walking around saying i'm the number one is just a way to paint a target on your back the next page is Brian's lab where we talk about the comparison he makes to ants and about how when Merlin made big furies, they were less structurally sound. They were basically supported by magic, Merlin's enchantments to keep them like together, you know. And therefore not pure Cybiote regenerating yeah, power. So, so like they're bigger, they're, you know, they're less like a Garfield mascot you would hug and more like the big unstable Garfield balloon at the parade. At the Macy's parade, right. Yeah. This page underlines that. It also shows us a bit about Rachel's newish Ascani powers, the way she's streamlined her chrono skimming since her trip to Otherworld, where she's now looking at people and perceiving which timelines they're from, which realities. She did that to help resurrect Gambit. Yeah, and that's kind of something that she, you know, in the intermittent time has become basically one of the big ways that Betsy can operate, like something that we kind of made the point in at night, and that is kind of part of the reason Rachel's so present here, is that the presence of Ascani is what lets Captain Britain do her job without Roma and Saturnine and Merlin's influence. Ordinarily, she needs someone in that position of power. You need someone in the Citadel turning the wheel. To help you traverse the multiverse and see it and investigate it and all that. Otherwise, you're it's just kind of you and your whole core and you're asking them all questions and hoping for the best. So, you know, Rachel kind of being like, I don't know. 
there's something to that that's really powerful to me. It's, you know, it's a partner saying, you know, quit your job. I've got you. Like, right. It's, you know, it's that like Rachel gave her the ability to free herself from that. Yeah. Influence on her judgment as. Captain yeah. Britain. And Rachel doesn't ask anything of her the way the others do. She doesn't ask obedience or deference. She just loves her. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's really cool. I think it's cool that what lets this amazing superhero thing happen, um, these two women love each other. Yeah. That's what lets it happen. Rachel can discern that this theory came from Otherworld as opposed to from one of the individual Earths, which means it came directly from the Everforge. So that's where we're off to next. But meanwhile, things start shaking because of something Jamie's up to. Yeah, Brian's pissed because his nerd stuff's getting broken. God bless him. It's a lot of fun to see him back in the lab. He hasn't been in the lab in like 40 years. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And we'll, we'll see him as Captain Avalon, too. We'll see him in action. He gets some of the sickest moments in the whole book. But yeah, he, he gets to be Brian Braddock's scientist who, you know, <laughs> decided to lose his virginity. And as a, and as, as a result, as his a parents result, were killed and he became his a superhero. His parents were killed and he became Captain yeah. Brian. <laughs> This is literally his story is that he was like, I, I would really like to lose my virginity and everything bad happened. I was just talking to Dr. Holly Raymond for the Jamie Braddock episode of Cerebro, which comes out this week. And we were talking about Uncanny X-Men 256, the key to break this lock, which is the one where Betsy is transformed, but is also a really great character study of Betsy. And the scene specifically where she's in her dream sequence talking to Storm and she's like, why was Brian chosen to be Captain Britain Aurora? I don't understand. He never wanted this nope. life. It's all I ever he wanted. He doesn't like swords. <laughs> he doesn't want a sword. He doesn't want the suit. He doesn't want to do any of this. It's all I want to do. And I think the answer is that Betsy needed to grow up more before she could do it responsibly, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm hesitant to answer the why. Oh, I don't think you should. Yeah. I just mean like narratively. Oh, sure. If she had been Captain Britain before, I mean, she was yeah. briefly and it didn't go well. Yeah. Because she was cocky. And I think it's like, you know, you become hesitant to say that trauma made you better, but it certainly changes you. That's yeah. You I mean, literally trauma is change. Again, if we go back to Morrison talking about the multiverse in DC and this is not a DC podcast, but the generative of that, the word they literally use is trauma. That all was one and all was unified and then something happened and there was an anti it. There was the pure thing and the thing that had been traumatized and really in that sense trauma just means change. Your Betsy to me is very much of a piece like as a progression with Cy Spurrier's version from his run on X-Force, which was coming right off of Rick Remender's run on mm -hmm. Uncanny X-Force. Yep. It's sort of a progression of horrendous things that happened to Betsy for about 10 years. Yeah. And like, I read the shit out of that run. Yeah. Like I read Uncanny X-Force right after it came out and then like got caught up as it was ending. Yeah. That's part of like what affects my writing of her is that era. And then like, the like Alan Moore writing of her are kind of like where mm -hmm. I most always connected to her. And like, I just always thought she was like super fucking cool about taking an L. Like it, she was just like, whatever. And so like, I loved the idea of writing a Betsy who was like, give it to me. I can take it. Yeah. You know? And like a version of her that's like just going about it differently. Right. Like as a woman, I think there's a difference from being like, I'm going to go in here with lipstick and my long legs out and just let men say whatever they want to me and accept that that's a kind of power. 
which it is, versus being like, I'm going to come in here in a hoodie and Crocs and I don't care what you say, which is a different kind of power. And like Betsy is glamorous. That's not her vibe. But like there's something to like her armoring herself and falling in love with a woman. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like there's something to that because not like it's not her true self to be like femme or glamorous. It's not what I'm saying at all. But like the idea of being able to be those things safely. Like I know that as a woman, I've become much more femme as I've become much more comfortable with my queerness because I understand like hard femme is a queer identity, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's something that has a, a cultural support. And I'm like, oh, that's like a kind of feminine sexuality I fit into more than whatever men would see. So I don't know. I think I write a lot about Betsy and, and body trauma, even when I'm not like actually doing that, I'm doing that. And like armor, it has always been a big symbol for me back when I used to like work for Top Cow. I really, I had like stories I really wanted to do about like Witchblade's armor mm-hmm. being like super responsive to her trauma in the sense where it could be, it could become like a mech that was eight feet tall. Yeah. In addition to being like a bikini, you know? Right. <laughs> And not in the sense that I think you have to guard your heart, but I think it's like the if you cover your body, who's still interested in your mind? Yes, absolutely. And I think also... Not that I'm pro-modesty, but that it's interesting. It's interesting for a character who has spent 30 years in a bathing suit. Yeah. To ask that of herself, you know? Yeah, I mean, really, it's like you put her in pants and there's an uproar because she's not supposed to wear pants. Even though there is, again, a super cool character wearing that exact outfit. Yeah, and she's great, and her legs are great. But that's the thing is, Betsy was not comfortable in something that revealing in her own body back in the 80s. The Betsy Braddock of Betsy Braddock Captain Britain, number one, would not walk in front of people in a thong with a gun to her head. Right, because she's back in her own body, which she has her own hangups about, and it was much easier when she was in, quote-unquote, someone else's body. That's right. That was this perfect athletic body to be like, sure, I'll walk around in a bikini all day if I want to. Yeah. Now that she's herself again, even her idealized self, since she made this body herself, it's still when you have that kind of relationship that most people who work in modeling and other fields have where you're hyper conscious of the way you look all the time. Well, and I think, you know, what you're saying about her building her own body kind of begs an interesting question. I don't know what I would look like if I had to rebuild myself because I'm very hard on myself. But I also see parts of myself, you know, certain angles that I like and things that are probably what I find flattering, but maybe aren't as realistic. So I don't know what I would look like. Right. Like, would it be perfect? I mean, it helps that she's telepathic, but still. Maybe someone with body dysmorphia should not be in charge of that. Right. Like, no, I'm I big mood. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't want that for me. Right. <laughs> Somebody else do it. I would like a scientist who is not in my crazy brain to assess what my body should look like while I'm rebuilding it molecule by molecule. Yeah, just, it needs to be like, just don't ask me. Just be like, don't ask me what I want. I could have come up with the like, let's make my hair actually purple thing. That was, you know, that I would have occurred to me, but let's figure out measurements. That would have made me. Absolutely not. Yeah, no. I would have stayed in Sapphire Six's belly for the rest of time. Yeah, someone would be like, okay, so here's your, (laughs) here's your 3D scan. And I would throw up and cry for two and a half hours. And then I would go visit Spiral. <laughs> remember that time we watched that episode of Dallas Cowboys Cheerleaders? Making I'm sorry. The team? Remember that time we watched two seasons of Dallas Cowboys <laughs> Cheerleaders? 
go on. But like I meant specifically the episode that we watched where they put the girls in like an MRI type machine oh and did a 3D printer scan of their body fat percentages and showed it to them. And Connor and I were laying flat on our backs, extremely hungover on a bed watching this show and just like flat voice going like, I would drink a gallon of bleach. I was like, I would walk in front of the Dallas Cowboys train if this happened yeah. to me. I would put my mouth around the barrel of a tank artillery and just let it evaporate me. Anyway. Anyway, uh, yeah, that show is a trip. <laughs> Point is, there is a good little conversation here between Brian and Betsy that feels a little bit like you're addressing the Brian fans who are concerned about Brian in this book or who are not happy that Betsy is Captain Britain instead of Brian. Basically, Brian is saying to her, wow, it really sucks being Captain Britain. Are you sure you want to do that? And she makes sort of a joke about giving it back to me. He's like, oh, no, I don't want it yeah and her joke is still like good because good because i would kick your ass if you tried right yeah but like yeah even for brian it's a sucky job well he always famously hated it like that is his thing so you know he wouldn't be eager to to get it back but also it's like not only that he would be worried about his sister who took on the job because he knows how much it sucks and in some ways she's stronger than him but in some ways she's much more target yeah and in some ways she doesn't have Like, I think a parallel that's interesting to me is the parallel between Brian's alcoholism and the way that Cy wrote Betsy in his X-Force as feeling as though she was addicted to killing. Yeah. Also, Betsy, I mean, in my opinion, having an eating disorder. Yes. No, that I think is clearly part of the character. It's extremely coping-based behavior. It's when you're raised in an environment where you're you know wealthy and and privileged you've got a lot on your side but also like you're under a certain kind of microscope things are expected of you that aren't expected of other kids your age in a lot of ways and she was a famous model by the yeah, age of like and she 17 was a model at a very young age and from a famous family and so it just you know i think brian being an alcoholic and betsy having an eating disorder are just very especially when you consider like you know who they are culturally they're very certainly very gendered ways of coping absolutely but i also think that betsy's desire to be more of a hero dr doom calls her out on yeah i heard you were a killer and And she's like i'm trying not to do that anymore a killer and a mind taker yeah i'm trying not to do that anymore i like the moments between brian and betsy i mean it comes up again when brian's talking to pete wisdom about the fact that pete wisdom can't smoke anymore yeah betsy you know also she's a public face of an island that says murder no man right like she's trying she's not supposed to kill people for a lot of reasons you know she's having a hero character arc but I do I do like that people, you know, remember that about her. Oh, because she'll do it if she's got to. Yeah. She cut Merlin's head she off cut at the Merlin's end of Night's <laughs> Right the hell off. And, you know, also, like, I have fun writing stories where I don't forget, like, her spy roots. You know, the Excalibur stories that count on are kind of like that. There's some stuff in Captain Britain that's kind of working with her spy roots and and it's fun it's fun stuff i like when she gets to be sneaky so i'm glad that one of the nice things about a solo title is we can get more of the different shades of the character yeah you can do a lot i mean and that's something i've experienced too like i've you know had the pleasure of writing catwoman for a while before i took on this i've also been writing harley quinn and it's a pleasure to get space on a solo book like that 
I mean, I hadn't written a real solo book since like Thanos. And even that was really a duo story between Thanos and Gamora. Right. So I was still kind of splitting the screen between them, so to speak. But yeah, anyway, Betsy and Brian have their cute little talk and then Jamie screws it up. Yeah, then we find out that Jamie is tossing the manor around in the palm of his hand as he walks it to Braddock Isle all the way from Essex, I guess. I mean, I assume he teleported, but... There's a Braddock... I mean, yeah, he He has now brought the family home from Malden all the way out to Braddock Isle where they have declared sovereignty... As like a Krakoan territory. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of up in the air right now. Like it's been claimed as Krakoan and like some powerful mutants live there. But also like you can't just do that. But like no one wants to go to war. Disputed territory. Yeah. And the UK is not Krakoa friendly at the moment, which is why they did it. And something I have a lot of fun with in this book, it being a political book. And I, you know, you'll, you'll see again is like the modern world. People don't want to like have these massive wars we're all really afraid of it you know and so there's a lot of like tension so I, I mean I really like the sense of just there being like armed troops around Braddock Isle which is like you can do whatever you want here and like they have a gate they can teleport in and out they don't care it's just, right like, but it's weird getting in and out it's just rude they're not stopped if they try to get in and out but there are just like visible snipers mm-hmm. a reminder that you're not super welcome you know would they fire on them probably not keep reading that's when we get into the house, which is now big again. Jamie is pleased with himself. Little Maggie appears. She's quite pleased with Uncle Jamie. I love their weird little relationship. Mm-hmm. Fun uncle is really the role Jamie Braddock always needed to play to keep himself out of trouble, I think. And like, I think it's fun because it plays on two levels, right? Like on one level, it's like, oh, she's just innocent and sweet and likes him for who she is. And it's like, no, she's just the smartest one in the house and isn't afraid of him. Right. She knows that she can get his goat if she has to. She's absolutely not afraid of him. Betsy wants to avoid the paps. So Megan says that she will go do it because she loves to be on the telly. I love to be on the telly. I love Megan. I had to have Megan talking about her love for telly. But stuff that we haven't gotten to do in a long time because we haven't had a lot of space for these characters. It's like just fun reminders. Like Megan's like, I'll be on the news. She's probably like the least equipped other than Jamie. Right. Yeah. Because she's just kind of going to say what's on her mind. I love Eric's choice to recolor the Avalon mm-hmm. Gloriana costume to the green. It's really pretty. I like that the Avalon costumes have sort of uniting colors, but I think the gold does it well enough. And to me, green is so Megan's color. I agree. That I like this better. I really, really like her in green. So yeah, Betsy's just kind of like, I'm not worried. Like, go talk to them. I'm going to go out through the courtyard gate. Then we get a romantic little scene. Yeah. And Betsy is just bitching and bitching because she's exhausted. And and Rachel's just kind of like, this is the first moment we've had alone in a minute. It's been stressful. But she says, Rachel, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. You can kiss me and discuss our plans at the same time. Unless you can't even think straight. Which was a line I was happy to get through. (laughs) There's a fun hook here like the idea that if you're both telepaths you can just do that yeah i do that again and again but it never gets old for me it's fun it's sexy every time and it's also it's like as a comic book writer if you're thinking about maximizing visual page right it's like they can just make out and have the exact same conversation you just change the shape of the word bubbles it's fine i just add in their psychic conversation then we cut to kavanakaba in london where morgan lefay as we learn, 
is speaking with Ruben Brousseau and Micromax. Yeah, and Micromax brings up the interesting idea that the Green Lagoon is possibly a hive of fetishes. I love that <laughs> Morgan uses the term witch breed as an insult mm-hmm. when she is literally a witch mm-hmm. herself and doesn't seem to see... It's just such a good word. Just derisive and nasty. I love 1602. It's very realistic. It's mm-hmm. just funny that you're like, wait, but but you're a witch. Yeah, I mean, and there are a couple moments like that. Like, there's deliberately moments where she's not in line with what she espouses. You know, you'll see her use magic and things that are like, are you really Miss English Nationalist if that's what you're doing? Right, yeah. But yeah, Ruben kind of loses it on on Mr. Micromax and is basically like, we had a feeling in our guts that you were wrong and one day the X-Gene science became real and proved it and he's like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. And he turns a little teeny tiny, but Morgan grabs him and puts him in her pocket. It's very much a shame that Vasco draws her just so good. <laughs> <laughs> I love Morgan Le Fay. She's one of my favorite Marvel villains and has been for like, like since I started. Well, you're an Marvel Iron Man comics. fan. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm a huge Iron Man fan. And so I read like Doom Quest at an early age and was like, this whips. And so I love Morgan Le Fay. And I just like, I, I'm like, oh, same. I would also kneel like that. <laughs> Vasco, well done. And Erica's also always colored her dress with this amazing, like, very Sailor Moon. Like, is it black or is it green? Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of black that shines green. Or I green miss shines back black. in the 80s, her hair was like, is it black or is it purple? But I do realize that in a Betsy Braddock book, that would be a little confusing. And that, I feel like that's also just like, it's very much of an era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that for sure. But I love the the deep green always kind of coming off of her. But she shows up and she has Micromax in her hands. and She puts him in a little jar, which is funny. Ruben Brousseau introduces himself. He's the lead of Coven Okaba. We've met him before. He's also in Marauders. He became the ambassador. From the UK to Krakoa as the, the treaty was broken off. Yeah, and then kind of broke the treaty off. But he's also a wizard. He's a real Ravenclaw type of bitch. Yeah, he's a, he, <laughs> he runs a magic school and he's a bigot. <laughs> And he lives in England. Anyway, <laughs> he and Morgan recap some of the events of the Knights of X. This two page or like three couple pages or whatever is kind of doing that because in the courtyard, Betsy also like explained how her power interfaces with Rachel's just like very quickly. Like yeah. in case this is your first issue, here's how that works. Yeah. I, you know, we do a lot of just like setting up a location. Here's where Ruben and Morgan work together. That's definitely if you're someone that's listening, that's interested in comic writing. And if you ever start writing, you know, long arcs and stuff like that, um, that's something I've, you know, I learned from working with other writers. You definitely get to points in your planning where scenes are like what is the function this is serving and it's like this is the scene where we introduce this location and we introduce this character and we introduce this concept and that's sometimes just all a scene needs to be and then there of course there are ways you do that cleverly right there's like the save the cat of it where you surprise people with oh this bad guy actually does something sweet that makes us like him or the scene becomes something else or you have a surprising twist whatever it just needs to do a little lifting and in this case you want to look at a scene and be able to be like, what does it do? If the scene doesn't do something identifiable for you in the work, if it's not load-bearing in some way, you need to re-examine it. Because you only have so many pages. Yep. And in a number one, and especially in a 30-page number one, I was grateful to have the extra pages. You got to get a lot established, but I wanted it to feel like we actually got to get to know these places and we would look forward to seeing them again. I like how 
Morgan explains the way her position and Akaba's position is different from Roma and Saturnine's. Whereas Roma and Saturnine are centered on England because that happens to be where the lighthouse was constructed. Like the Starlight Citadel is in England because of a ritual from the Alan Davis Excalibur a million years ago or whatever. That's incidental to Otherworld. It just happens to be the point at which humans can enter. Here, Morgan says... But there's power in Britain in this land and they're not respect, which is very like blood and soil kind of rhetoric. Yeah, to it's be, very it's fascist. Nationalist rhetoric. Yeah, nationalist rhetoric. And the thing about Roma and Saturnine and Merlin and them being incidental is just the kind of stuff you get from like reading and rereading the material and spending three years with it. Yeah. And like thinking a lot about it and being like, oh, yeah, you guys aren't British nationalists. And no. Those are my enemies. So. Yeah. Hmm. Actually, I think someone really British should be in charge of Captain Britain. Yeah, you know, that's Morgan's take on it, right? It's like, it's British magic. Why it shouldn't it be someone who really kneels to that idea? And we've seen that in Captain Britain before and how that goes. Right. Morgan even says, like, Brian Braddock is perfect for the job because he's, like, a white human man. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, he's perfect for the job because he's a modern hero, someone who looks uncomplicated, who wears the flag and looks good doing it without thinking too hard or making them think too hard. Which is an uncharitable read on Brian. Absolutely. But she's the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. And she's lamenting that she can't have Brian. Yeah. And she's like, he was perfect. But she thinks he'd be easier to manipulate. Exactly. And, you know, if that were the case, she would have Brian working for her. But she doesn't. She tried that before and he slipped through her fingers. Right. And there's a good bit here too where she says the peasants don't understand the captain's role as a protector of realities in the other world the land where they meet which just very briefly explains what captain britain is because captain britain is not just a book like captain america right captain britain as of the alan moore stories is about patrolling the Marvel multiverse. It's about figuring out which worlds are in danger. Right. And the reason that it's always remained a Captain Britain book, at least in theory, and the thing I have always tried to keep in the book, it is that the place in the Marvel universe that touches all of that is... Is Britain, as Britain. it happens. Yeah. So it was definitely important to me to make a story that like actually connected us to the UK of now. But also, yeah, I mean, again, this is it's, it's weird because... So much of this is just the stuff that's been like building and stuff I wanted to do for years. And you just are like, oh, yeah, I'll do that when I get there. And you're like, oh, I'm here. Oh, it's here. <laughs> it's time. We cut from the UK of now to In Fury, the Everforge, Kingdom of the Furies, where we're caught up, in case we didn't read Knights of X, on the fact that the Furies were on Merlin's side of the war and have not really been negotiating with Betsy yeah. since. And more to the point, if you're not a previous reader, no, or actually, even if you are, honestly, it, it reminds you, you know, why isn't she just welcomed in now? And it's like, because the other world is fractured. Right. The Starlight Citadel is not issuing orders. So Captain Britain is just some chick. Yeah. And it's like, why the hell would we listen to you? Kind of at the end of Knights of X, the kingdoms, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, we went back from like having seven kingdoms under one king to having like fragmented kingdoms again. You know, the other world went back to everyone doing their own thing again. And so they're, they're under no obligation to even let Betsy in. And it is because they like fighting that they do. <laughs> <laughs> she confronts the Forge Master Federal, who is the most powerful at the moment of the Furies. Seems to be a role that changes according to that data page based on whoever's on top at the time. Yeah. 
strongest man sits on the throne about the rogue fury that attacked britannica rex's world and then we get my single favorite thing in the issue so good is ariana mar making them all go ha 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 in a digital clock font which is so good to me yeah and i i I specifically just made the note that i was like i want them to have like evil like mechanical like digital laughter and the fact that it's clock radio font is like so good so good i laugh is so out good. loud i love it but it's also like genuinely eerie I don't it's know. creepy but it's also so funny like the shadowy throng of them is creepy but yeah. the, the ha, 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 ha ha is yeah. so funny and then i love this bottom right panel of betsy because she looks like griffith from berserk hell yeah <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> Bird of the hawk it's a panel that's like she's trying to be scary and she looks like one of the scarier characters I could think of. So it You look scary, but you're also like one of the most beautiful humans. Right. At mutants people. She's trying to ever. do that. That kind of, you know, beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. The fae thing that is a Braddock power, the ability that Megan exemplifies. Right. Which is why she's the lady of the house. But the ability that the whole family has to kind of bring out that majesty that scary seely thing yeah i mean and that's the thing is like you don't have to listen to captain britain but you are aware of the fact that she has basically infinite backup mm-hmm. so like you don't have to but then like a bunch of them are gonna roll but, up to your like, house some other kingdoms didn't and now it's a problem for right them. <laughs> like <laughs> so but if you're a fury and you like are super hard to go to war yeah you're like i would love to kill a bunch of captains Britain. Right. they should all show up exactly like i would just like pink hair and red blood flying around this place so it's been kind of a cold war yeah i mean it's been i would say it's been an like openly xenophobic Otherworld in the time that we've been gone since nights, everyone's kind of shut their doors to the other kingdoms. To the other kingdoms, yeah. And so Betsy, like coming to talk, is kind of a, like, "Why are you here?" Like, she theoretically, you know, it shows up around Otherworld because there are plenty of places that don't mind her being there, and there are places to do. And she absolutely would do the X Men thing, and you know, save some people who were being eaten in a jail in Sevilleth or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like she does stuff like that all the time not in this book but <laughs> right sure but like that's like her just job off that. well we yeah. saw her and rachel pop up in exterminators when right. a bunch of other world kidnappees had to be taken back and all of that yeah exactly she's still the primary liaison between earth and other world we're just done with the other world story for now yeah but there's still stuff going on there and you'll see her you know in other books you know pop up with info from other world or, or whatever well it's like how yana can pop up with like here's some news from the world of demons oh, or from yeah. dr strange or whatever because sometimes you need a character who can do that part of what i'm doing with this book is kind of bringing her to the larger marvel universe because other world is so cool and like i want other people to feel like they can do more doom quests well, also- i want more <laughs> characters going to other world and doing crazy shit i love it well also the fact is the marvel brand is so associated now with the multiverse which is something that was created by alan moore in captain britain the designation or 616 comes from a captain britain story that's right kids 616 616 you did throw them a 616 in nights though i did you caved no no i was just (laughs) throwing a bone to dogs (laughs) true as seats say 616 anyway no the point is that the whole concept of the marvel multiverse comes from captain britain so if it's going to be an important part like the avengers forever they were just in a million multiversal things and i'm like we should throw captain britain in here 
I really liked the first season of the Marvel What If animated show. I actually really liked it. And that dealt a lot with multiversal stuff in a cool way. It was like, if you like Marvel multiverse stories, this one is MCU based, but it's still really cool. One of the episodes is what if Killmonger rescued Tony Stark? Mm -hmm. And it like, it goes a little like it's, <laughs> it's good. It's a really just like, and I don't know, it's just fun. But it's wild to me. I've always really loved the multiverse in comics. I've always been a what if girl. I've always been an Elseworlds girl. It's always been some of my favorite things. I think it's because I was a fanfic teenager and it's sure. just like juicy to me. So it's wild to me that now there are like Oscar winning animated films. That about the multiverse about the mul of Marvel comics. About yeah, the so it's yeah. about time for Captain Britain to assert herself in that role as the world of Marvel's expert on multiversal phenomena. Then we get into one of my favorite bits of the issue. Another great sound effect from Ariana, actually. The wum as the horror reveal of this issue happens. And we learn that the Furies are working for Kavanakaba and the British government. And the Union Jack rolls down <laughs> to show off their new colors. They're warlike. Like, they can't not, you know? Like, they can't fight for a banner that isn't up for them. Like, they are soldiers. So yeah, they like, need they, to show it off. They have to fly their banner. Yeah. But I just love it because, you know, Betsy wears the colors of the UK flag, but it's conspicuously not a Union Jack design. It's an X shape. And there was conversation back when the costume first debuted for people were like, that doesn't look like Captain Britain to me. I like the contrast being made here of like, that's what that looks like, just in case you're confused as to why Morgan's like, this isn't enough. And is she still wearing the colors? Yes, but it's not enough. We want this exact thing because we want you to behave exactly as right. we want you to signify is the way right wing governments function. Right. It is. We have built an ideal and... I mean, that's how fascism functions. Yeah. Like, it builds an impossible fake Ubermensch idea and forces everyone toward it. And it's like that never existed. Fascists now play this tradwife cottagecore bullshit game. And it's like, that's the same thing that didn't exist. Like the version of what you want, the return has never existed. No. And I like the idea here that it's like, no, no, no. It's not enough that you changed your color scheme to patriotic colors. You're not wearing the symbol. And obviously this is a contentious symbol right now in contemporary exactly. UK politics. Which is, yeah, which is, you know, part of why I both stay away from it and use it deliberately, you know? Right, which is why you're playing with it here. But the idea that Coven Akaba and Morgan really want her to wear it or really want a Captain Britain willing to wear it is... It's less about the symbol and more about control. You're exactly right. It's that they want to be able to completely control this person from head to toe. Yeah. We cut from there back to Braddock Isle where we see Pete Wisdom, who has come to call on the Braddocks. There's the scene I mentioned earlier where we recap that Brian is a recovering alcoholic. I just have to say I love, I love very serious Pete with his lolly in his mouth. Yeah, well, your innovation of the lollipop to look <laughs> like the cigarette that we can't have in his mouth anymore is really smart because to me, if he doesn't have something sticking out of his mouth, it's like, who is that? Yeah, man? my husband Blake once, we, we met as LARPers and so we LARP for a long time <laughs> and he once I played, don't mean to laugh. Yeah, I, it's it, a funny sentence. We met as we LARPers is a funny sentence. In a hopeless place. <laughs> We truly did. But yeah, one of the games we played, he played like a pirate captain who ate candy because he'd quit smoking. And I thought it was like a really cute affectation. Sure. Yeah. And I like the way that it looks like a cigarette. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. It's like, the... a, like in my mind, he's eating dum-dums. It's like yeah. bank lollipops. I keep thinking of them as like Nicorette lollipops, <laughs> which exists. That's a thing. 
But I also, speaking of like him being like pathetic a little bit, I love his tiny weird little face in the panel where he's complaining about it. He's I all know. scrunched up. He's like literally talking out the side of his mouth. He's like, burp, 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 I just, I was, it's, it's like, it's just, it's a little bit farther away. And Vasco draws him as like the pinchiest little grumpy face. Oh, you know what? The scene I have to say with the two like old English dudes like being overly emotional with each other is probably my Anne Rice jumping out. You love that. I want the two Englishmen to look at each other and be like, sad old chap. Maybe yes. we should kiss about it. maybe (laughs) oh wait also i have to point out pete stirs his lollipop into his tea that's not a spoon oh i didn't even catch that he pops his sugar lollipop out of his mouth and stirs it into his tea (laughs) to sweeten it i think that's really cursed of him that is dark and i think it's funny that's when betsy and rachel arrive and pete flirts with betsy and rachel is like ew I also though like that he's like how are you so dry but he's like there's a gate in the yard under an overhang no one told me these things he was busy standing on a cliff mugging and like posing I love that she's like you were sacrificed by coming home he's like I know I was there it's like but we know how Kirk Cohen backups work don't remember it yeah he doesn't remember but he's He's just just being dramatic (laughs) right and like she part of her is also like you know this right and he's like yes embarrassing it was the hellfire gala it's also like that's the worst blackout you can have right it's yeah. like also he probably doesn't even remember getting to dance with betsy at the hellfire gala no but it wasn't that romantic she was just giving him information despite, i know despite what certain press outlets tried despite to what certain press outlets tried to communicate it was not romantic with it Pete. was in fact it was romantic with rachel yeah i love looking back at that scene now that they're actually together because it was really like the first time i really went for it well you didn't you yes right it was the first time i really went for it and it began a lot of conversations in the office yeah and it was not the first time i had brought up bringing them together romantically but it was the first time i really wanted to put it in the issue yeah to start bringing it out on page i will say me scripting it the way i originally did is what let people know that i was taking it seriously and they started taking it seriously too. All we're saying is that the original draft you wrote of that scene was a little more. It was overt. romantic. It was yeah. outright romantic. Comics are made on a schedule, right? So it's like I just don't know if we can get the approvals that we in need time. for this in time for this issue to go to print. And so I rewrote it the way I did, which still read. Really it's still romantic. pretty romantic. I mean, everybody on the internet was like, "They're girlfriends." So yeah, it came across. Yeah. Now that they are together, it is fun to look back at like there's specific moments where it's like it could have happened here. Yeah. But it happens in Nights 4. It's like it could have happened at the gala. It could have happened when Rachel kisses her on the cheek in Excalibur 26. Yeah. And then it does happen in Nights 4, which is fun. And And now all of those moments retroactively, there's no arguing anymore. They're unambiguously romantic moments. I think when I look in retrospect, my favorite moment isn't even one where they're on page together. It's when it's at the end of Excalibur 26 when Rachel turns to everyone with like tears in her eyes and says she's doing what she's always done fighting for a world that hates and fears her that line bangs thank you i love that moment so much because it's just i don't know i'm a lover you guys i'm a romantic scorpio problem i'm intense i love hard i just oof, i love it i love love but like the real stuff well one of the things that's exciting now that you have them together is that you can write them as a couple that's gonna have disagreement yeah problems like they're happy but like they're gonna learn each other's boundaries and borders in ways that they just hadn't and like they're both psychic but in part because you were writing to set up them getting together yes 
it's hard to write, here's a moment where they fight if what you're setting up is they're supposed to be and a it's couple. because I'm so limited on page in the team books, right? Right, like, exactly. In, in the team books, it's much harder to fit in intricate ins and outs of their relationship. But in this book, there are a lot of moments where, like, they disagree or like there's a scene I can think of where they part angrily and they resolve it. They come back together and they talk, but like, you know, they get mad at each other and someone has to walk off and have a think about it. And that's being in love. Love is what makes you come back when you walk off. But like, it's okay to be like, I don't agree with you all of the time. And like, that's sexy. Also, like the tension is fun. The tension is fun. I like Rachel pushing back at her more. And I like that she comments on it because I like her being like, excuse me. You know, right. And it's like, I'm being like, oh, no, no. Like, we're together now. I'm going to make fun of you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like, we're we're together together now. Like, I'm not, I'm not afraid that if I say the wrong thing, you'll turn away and never come back. You're Betsy Braddock. You're notorious. Like, you do run from every you relationship. You ghost the shit out of everyone, right? Yeah. So it's like if I say the wrong thing, I'm scared that you'll ghost me. But like now I know where you sleep. We have a dog. Like <laughs> <laughs> You're not going anywhere. I love here that at the end of the catch up with Pete and Brian, Betsy just announces that Strike is free to move into the manor, which it's Brian's house. It's a very good callback to the Davis run on Captain Britain when she just announces that the Warpies are all going to stay. Yeah. And Brian's like, what? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, that's one thing I love about the manor is that it's like they just have more house than they know what to do with. So it just becomes things. It's like, Brian, we have a whole wing that we're not using. Like, who cares? But like also strike in general. They just uh, they break my heart. Like, I love that they have all come back as mutants to a country that doesn't want them, that they served really loyally. I think that's really tragic and beautiful. And so I I love that they serve Captain Britain out of her manner. I think it's also something that a lot of British people have felt in the wake of Brexit, etc. Yeah. The idea of like, am I wanted here? You know, I mean, a friend of mine who is Polish and a doctor with the NHS certainly had a moment after that all happened. With sure. Like, and then, you know, Pakistani women like Faiza or trans women, my God. Well, living op- in, I mean, that's, know, yeah. But like the idea of yeah of living in a country that doesn't want you are coming back there's like i mean i I can't help it i'm a queer person like there's a specific real connection to me about the fact that like the strike characters didn't know they were mutants when they served Mm -hmm. they know that they're mutants now and like that's just it's powerful that they know now and like no they're not all queer characters but that experience is really queer coded but Allison Double is pretty queer. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> she's pretty queer coded. But like, model, if you're listening, I would love to write the Betsy and Allison Double story from the '80s, the ski chalet, where Betsy doesn't realize they're dating, and Allison <laughs> is like, "Wait, it's the pride short." Honestly, we've been dating for months, Betsy. Yeah, we have pictures of us holding hands and matching outfits at a ski chalet. That is not what. <laughs> and then Betsy's like, "Okay, I'm gonna go ski about this," and gets captured by Mojo, and it leads directly yeah. into New Mutants <laughs> Annual Number Two. I love it. But no, like that experience, I think, is very queer coded of being like, for sure, I loved a place deeply before I knew what I was. And, and now, now it that I know me. what I am, I'm not wanted there. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's real to me. So that's why I put it in the book. Then we get the bedroom scene. Uh, what, we need the like the, the TV sitcom. Ooh! I love this scene. I think Rachel playing her switch is incredible. I think Rachel 
in the Summers Family Reunion shirt is incredible. I think Rachel being seated up against the headboard to make sure that when they're lying down, she's a little bit taller than Betsy <laughs> is hysterical. Every time Rachel uses her powers to make herself taller than Betsy, I also really enjoy that. <laughs> like, it. that she's always hovering because Betsy's four inches taller than her. <laughs> I always think of that 70s show joke. Why is the dog standing on the table? He likes to be tall. I always send you that picture of you and McGregor and Nicole Kidman sitting on it's the bench. It's the most Rachel Betsy Cody picture <laughs> ever. Like, that is how they look to me all of the time. Like, there's, there's a scene. I have not sent that picture in as reference, but there's a scene that comes up in this book where they're more or less dressed like that. Where they're at, like, an event. And I'm literally at this moment realizing why I wrote them in the outfits I wrote them in. And I'm like, it's that fucking It's picture. that picture of you and Nicole. On the bench. On the bench. It's one of my favorite. It's so Look real. at this little guy pictures. It's like the picture of Kit Harrington standing between Gwendolyn Christie yes. and Sophie Turner on the red carpet. And he comes up to tit level. I love all the pictures from the Hunger Games red carpet of Josh Hutcherson between the other two actors like Katniss and the yeah 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 Jennifer guy. Lawrence and uh, Liam Hemsworth and he's just a teeny little there guy there was like back in the like oh no they didn't days of live journal I'm gonna summon some dark energy it's still going oh my god I know live journal is Russian bots and ONTD that's all that's left on it I was raised on the teen of ONTD <laughs> So, like, that they used to post just, like, crops of red carpet images where it was just, like, Josh Hutcherson from the eyes up, like, Kilroy, and, like, the yes. other two actors, like, their full heads and shoulders. We love a short king. I love a short king. I'm 5'10". I like that Betsy's pajamas in this scene are kind of a throwback to her first Psylocke costume. Like, yeah, it has no, that... Uh, on Pink silk chiffon vibe. Soft like silk chiffon, baby. Mm-hmm. That's a very Betsy Rachel song. Yes. Uh, I also, that my my like femme truth on this is her putting her hand cream on before bed. <laughs> I was that was me writing my femme truth into funny. the panel is like the getting into bed with the hand cream. But no, I, I Rachel playing her switch in the Summer's Family Reunion shirt. The Summer's Family Reunion shirt came from... You told me that that was a running joke in the Slack and yeah. that you made the shirt. Early, well, no, I didn't actually make the shirt. But you like went to a generator and like yeah, made early, the design. Early on in the X office, I was threatening that because before COVID happened and we were all like, oh, we're going to be doing a ton of cons together this year. We were planning to all basically like. It's so like, sad that of all the eras I know. of X-Men that didn't get to do cons, it's the first two years of Krakoa. I would have gone, I would have like been a deadhead following like I the mean, Grateful Dead. I thrown Green Lagoon parties. Yeah, I would have gone you know? to every every con just as a fan it would have been so fun we didn't get to but i was we were all joking and making threats about like oh should we wear flower crowns like what should we do at one point i went to one of those like family reunion t-shirt sites and so i generated a bunch of shirts that were like it's a summers thing you wouldn't understand and like i'm a summers get used to it (laughs) the kind of shirts that like family reunions wear at disneyland if you think i'm sexy you should see my dad he's a summers (laughs) right yeah no (laughs) Which, it's like, so, also, that I mean, is the summer's they're, they're, family like, reunion. I, 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 I promise you guys, please go to just Google, like, family reunion shirt generator. You can make your own. Put in Braddock. Put in Summers. Frost. Yeah. SX. Like, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want, and you will laugh your ass off. And Cassidy. I just, God, that's a yes. family reunion I want to write. Oof, I want to be there. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, uh, so I just like sent them all to the X-Lack and I was like, you guys, these are really funny. We should do these. And so I've been having the like joke of a Summer's Family Reunion shirt. In my- and also it's a little bit of a nod to people that make jokes about how Betsy always sleeps this summer. Yes, <laughs> right? because she has collected Rachel- them all at this point. Yeah. 
It's like Goldilocks. Betsy had to try each of the summers until mm. she found the one that Too was just hot. right. Yeah. Mm. Too cold. Mm. Gay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that then they do their psychic chat thing while Rachel eats Betsy's pussy. Absolutely. Big shout to Vasco for not making it ambiguous what's going on in that final panel. <laughs> I was just like, wow. Oh, yeah. We can tell exactly what's happening under that blanket. Good work. Good work. Yeah. No, and I I also just really have fun writing Rachel. I'd be like, I just lost at this stupid fucking playthrough of Hades. So I am going to eat some cookie now. I'm going to go down on you now. So stop worrying. Also, like, you are irritating me with your stressing. (laughs) I just, I like, like, I I mean, I, I love Betsy. Betsy is not. She's not unpleasant, you know, like she's not likable, but she's not unpleasant. I'm three episodes into White Lotus season two and she's not Aubrey Plaza. No, she's not that right. stank. Like, so we cut from that to Faiza Hussein sitting at a cafe in London where she is met by Pete Wisdom and Strike. I loved this scene. I'm a big Faiza Hussein head, as I said earlier, but also using Faiza Hussein, who was established by Paul Cornell as a big fan of obscure Marvel UK characters yes. to reestablish who Strike is for new readers is really smart. So I think that was really well done. It was really a useful way to introduce her. And I mean, she has so much personality. That's one thing I really like about Faiza. Like she's a doctor. She's got this, you know, fandom presence. Well, she reminds me of my sister who's like a doctor who reads manga in the ER. Yeah, like like that's very much her vibe. And I love that. I love that about her. And it's also just a very useful function. It's just very lucky. Sometimes as a writer, you realize you have these very kismet moments where you're like, yeah, this character who I've wanted to use. Well, because you've been saying I want to find a place for Faiza in this story to me for like three years. But I just, yeah. But it was having... it was just like, this is about Krakoa. This is about Otherworld. When is it going to be? And here's the moment. And it's really great to have her here. Well, thank you. I'm a big fan of her saying she knows a shop that's selling some really clever pro Betsy pins. That's a shout out to all my artist alley friends. <laughs> like... <laughs> I like when she is like, oh my God, Kevin Mulhern, you're Dr. Destiny. And he's like, oh my goodness, were you a Are fan? Are you a fan of my magic? And no. she's like, not of the stage magic, but like, that's no cute. No one was. <laughs> right. Just the strikes. I mean, he probably doesn't want to use the name Dr. Destiny now that 24-Hour Diner was adapted for Netflix in the Sandman TV show, because that's also a Dr. Destiny. That's probably... not my job. That's <laughs> someone else's job. I really like the the little team of them all together being like, we're going to protect you, Faisa. And she's like, oh my God, see, just like that, I want a picture. I want to take a pic. Like, instead of being like, thank you, guys. I know you can protect me. She's like, oh my God, how cool. Strike pose. This is so neat. It's like Destiny's child is back together or something yeah. like, you know. I like the moment with Excalibur where she's like, obviously, I've kept it. And Pete's like, okay, because these Kavanakaba guys, they're working literally with Morgan Le Fay. Like, they're trying to get a hold of British cultural signifiers that they can use to assert control. So I wanted to make sure that you were safe. And she's like, yeah, much like Betsy as a mutant and a queer woman, although that's not like said as overtly in the comic, is not who these people ideally want as Captain Britain. I'm not who they want as Excalibur. Right. Heir to the Right. Sword. I mean, literally, like their, their idiot bigotry keeps her safe from their interests. Right. Like they haven't even thought about Faiza Hussein because she's not someone they consider properly British. Paradoxically, that puts her in a lot of danger because they'll just kill her and take And it. take the sword. You know? Right. Because like, they have no respect for her as a person. That's why Pete and Strike are like, mm. Yeah. But they understand that it responds to her. And it's like, 
do you piss this thing off that's older than you? I mean, the idea that it, Excalibur has properties. We don't, I mean, it's, you know, oh my God, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Welsh name. Oh, it's like Caledwit. It's spelled like I would pronounce it Caledwit, which is not how Welsh work. The first syllable is Caled something, but it. I'm sorry, Wales. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> next time. Next we'll time, know I next promise. time. But yeah, it's like, I mean, it's this thing that is theoretically more aware of British identity than you are. So if you're someone that thinks that you're the final word on British identity. But it's like, guess what, bitch? Magical sword listens to a Pakistani woman. Maybe your idea is wrong. You hide that evidence. Right. Yeah. You don't want other people to see that. Nope. Because if the power of the land can choose an immigrant, then that undermines your, your agenda. Theory. Exactly. Exactly. You're, you have such good reading comprehension. I try. <laughs> we cut to Morgan Le Fay at Kavanakaba headquarters with Micromax in the jar. She calls him Microman here and he protests in tiny little font, Micromax. And she's like, quiet. That also made me laugh out loud because I had a moment where I was like, oh, no. I was like, I have to text T. There's a typo in the comic. <laughs> and then I realized that, no, it's on purpose because Morgan does not care that his name is Micromax. And it reminded me of my first boss in publishing, who I respect very much, but she did call me Cameron for two years. <laughs> it's exactly that level of like, you're not really important enough for me to learn your name. Yeah. Exactly. And I just, I feel like she would be like this mutant named Microman and that would be her information going forward. Also, it underlines that ever since Scott Lobdell established that the character's name is Scott, why is his name Micromax? I guess because like the minimum and the maximum, but like. I guess, but like Morgan says Microman because Because it makes more sense. Sorry, I'm right. Anyway, she starts looking in her scrying pool for a more primitive Captain Britain. What she's trying to do is co-opt one of the core to her control. Yeah, she wants a member of the core who will be her Captain Britain. And so she's like, maybe I'll find one who's like, you know, uh, in her mind, primitive. Uncivilized, right. Well, they started with the dinosaur and now they go to, I mean, this is also about Britain, right? Yeah. Captain Pratani here is from a pre-Roman exactly. Celtic Britain. Exactly. Yeah. Captain Pratani is really inspired by me reading like a lot of like Bernard Cornwell, who's not perfect. You guys, if you go read his stuff, and you're <laughs> like, wow, this is really like weird. And there's some like sexism and racism in here. Like, yes. Yes. There but is. you read it as a kid and it impacted these are you. Books I read that I yeah. them impacted me. Yeah. But she has like a Boudicca vibe. It's yeah, like yeah, exactly. it's indigenous Britain. Yeah, and I really, really love the way Vasco draws her profile on that one page where she's like being really stubborn and is like, I only want your surrender. I really like the way I feel like Vasco drew her as kind of like skinnier and rangier. Yeah, she's than like gamier than Betsy. Yeah, yeah, she looks like a deer or something. Like she's just very like gamine. Yeah, gamine is a great word for it. And I love that she is upset when our Betsy arrives because she sees that as a failure. It reminds me of what Al Ewing is doing on Araco. And similarly to that, what Betsy expresses here, the way that Storm expresses to the Iraqi is like, I'm not here to diminish you. I'm here to help. Yeah, Let something me help. I had a really fun time with is the idea that the core would have spoken. And so when Captain Britannia sees Captain Britain show up, she's learned from Britannica talking that that means you failed. That, that means you screwed up. Yeah, you failed your world. Betsy Prime had to arrive alpha. and yeah. bail you out. Yeah, yeah, is here now. Like, and and so you know because she's a Betsy, her reaction is like, "Go away! Like, I'm fuck still you! Doing I'm this. still working!" Right? Uh, let me cook. <laughs> 
I like when the Fury propositions her and she just goes, ha, 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 which is such a fun contrast to the earlier scene of the ha, 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 ha. It's more human. I like also when Rachel flies and is like, I assume we told the Furies no. Oh, I also I'm a big fan of when they initially fly in and, and Rachel is just like, so the no more Saturnine or Starlight Citadel means you get the personal responsibility to return or to respond to emergency calls. She's like, well, I've got the multiversal girlfriend, so my problems become everyone's problems. And Rachel's and like, our problems. Our problems. Rachel tries to do the multiversal fire again, which here Bessie calls Ascani fire. Again, I love how you're establishing, because the Ascani lore has been left very vague ever since the 90s, and I'm excited about you filling it in. It is, yeah. And the journey of it being filled in, we're going to go on along with Rachel. It almost feels like it took those people in other worlds calling her Ascani for her to start thinking about it. Yeah, and we, we will get into in this series, like what that title means and what the secret timeline is and what Rachel's role is. It's a more interesting story for Rachel to inherit this title that she's not entirely sure of and has to But that like figure part of her created. Yeah, that like uh, she knows that like is only there because she created it for herself but she doesn't fully recognize her relation to it. Yeah. It's also kind of a neat echo to the fact that like Betsy is now very secure in her role as Captain Britain and so Rachel's journey is about being like I don't entirely understand this role I've been committed to. And now I'm going to learn and, and we're going to learn with her. Together, yeah. I like also the idea present since the initial Scott Lobdell stories about Clan Ascani. Well, actually, since the initial, initial Claremont story about Clan Ascani back in X-Factor in the late 80s, or maybe 1990, I forgot. The one where Cable gets sent to the future, Baby Cable. Mm-hmm that it sort of worships the phoenix as part of its religious practice. So the idea that Mother Ascani, the daughter of the phoenix, can access the phoenix force, again, it all kind of fits together in a way that's yeah, very appealing. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, there's Mary and Jesus stuff That's there. what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, Mother Ascani and Mother Sancti in their, like, mantles over the hound costume yeah, is a very, very Virgin Mary, Mary thing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, reaching out for it again stresses her out. I do like that we see the Fury target her and it says power source multiversal prioritize attack because Rachel's power is specific and something that a Fury knows can destroy it. Yes. Again, it's that it's that great clock radio font that Ariana goes to. She's so good. Yes. It also reminds me of Rachel's early appearances when she was pursued by Nimrod. Like, there is a very classic story involving Rachel being seen through a Sentinel's view screen. So having a Fury yeah. version yeah, was yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then we get the huge splash page that I love featuring... Big Betsy? <laughs> the most important addition to the Captain Britain course since the Violet Swan... Big Betsy. Large. Large Betsy. She's so big, uh, and I love her. How horny is Rachel for Big Betsy? You know, I think she's still processing it. Also, like, really threatened. Because, like, if Betsy's too tall, Big yeah. Betsy, who's, like, 20 stories tall, is a lot. Yeah, like, Rachel's just gonna, like, fly, like, 30 feet in the air so she can be, like, <laughs> six inches taller. Do, like, a little kiss on the forehead. Do you think Big Betsy has a growth power or is she from a big planet that's just bigger i think big betsy is just from big world i love that for her and i love that 
when she enters other timelines, she's Gulliver. I think that's yeah, really funny. Yeah, she's just big. Like, I think she's just it's from... It's just a universe that happens to be at a bigger scale yeah. than ours. Yeah, and so, like, when they go elsewhere, they're giants. Um, I also <laughs> love that she was drawn to look a little dumb. <laughs> like, she's, well, like we learned about the Furies. Right. If you make them really big, they're less structurally integral. I really, 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 I've been a... A, a TTRPG player since I was a child and I really often think about characters uh, and it helps me keep them level to think about them as an amount of points to spend. You have a dumb stat. Yeah, you have to have a dumb stat. You have to have characters who like if they're really, really good at stuff, they have to be really, really bad at other stuff. And you have to remember what their, you know, what their weak roles are when you write them. Betsy has declared that no Betsy Braddock will ever bow to Morgan and the Coven of Kaba, which leads Morgan and the Furies to appear through a scrying vision. And Morgan is like, really? That's funny. Do you really think you can trust every single version of yourself? Because I doubt that. <laughs> Because you can't even trust all the decisions you've made. <laughs> yeah, like, so, I mean, like, Betsy, you have a pretty complex publication history. So you can rationalize all yourself <laughs> right. and do the same thing. Can you justify everything every writer has done to you? I don't know. I don't know that you can. <laughs> but my favorite bit that closes out the issue is she says, With you gone, I'll be able to move on with my plan to find a new captain. A captain the people will love. Next, Carter. This is funny. Yeah. You mentioned, I think, in an interview that this came out of the fact that when you Googled Captain Britain to send an article to somebody or something, you were struck by the fact that while it was exciting that there were just as many pictures of Betsy now as there are of Brian, there were also just as many pictures of Haley Atwell. Right. <laughs> like, let me be clear. I'm never against looking at pictures of Haley Atwell. I know you're not, but she's not <laughs> Captain Britain. But so. yeah, and so I was kind of like, well, and it was also a matter of like, you know, there is an aspect of this business that's marketing based and that's, you know, exciting. She's a popular character. She's a popular character and people are often led to her when they're curious about Captain Britain. So I was like, well, I, I really want to address it. I guess I want to give like a Do gift. something on page. Do yeah. Do fun with it. And you know what? In 15 years when people read this comic, will they know that's what it's referencing? Probably not. Probably not. But it's a funny moment right now. Yeah. And it also yeah. is a really funny thing to do in a moment when Betsy is feeling extremely unpopular to be like, especially when she's like, they just hate me because I'm a woman. And it's like, well, here's Peggy Carter, though. And they like her quite yeah. a lot. Maybe it's a you problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> like <laughs> and like, it's really fun the way we get to bring in Peggy Carter. We bring in a version of her. The one from Jamie McKelvey's yeah, miniseries, which features Lizzie Braddock, Agent of Strike. Exactly so. right. Which I was a I was a fan of Marika Cresta and Jamie McKelvey's book. They did. I really liked that Lizzie and Peggy friendship. So I won't I won't spoil for you guys how it all shakes out. But it's exciting that you're bringing it in. I think yeah. it's smart choice rather than ignoring it, which is itself it odd. was also nice that there are versions of her that are not the mcu version because mm -hmm. that would be way more complicated to cross over with. Yeah, yeah i mean it ends up just being a story i'm actually really proud of that issue we've been putting you know the last finishing touches on the data pages and lettering and stuff this week and it's it's i'm like i'm a big fan of the second issue of this book well that's Betsy braddock captain britain number one thank sure you so is. much for joining me what else would you like to say to the zala gang and the wider world about this issue and this book before we wrap up and you and i have a cocktail thank you to you connor and to all you guys who listen thank you for being big fans of the book i'm not on a lot of social media anymore and i don't read reviews most of the time and stuff so 
hearing nice words from you guys through Connor is really sweet. I also I write Catwoman right now. Issue 50 was an oversized issue. and I think 52 is the next one to come out. The first trade of our first arc, which is called Dangerous Liaisons, is out now. And it's four issues of sexy Catwoman being the baddest bitch in Gotham and two issues of a fun Harley team up, which is a good segue to the Harley Quinn book. I'm taking over rating duties on that too. Sweeney Boo is doing the art and it might be the most beautiful book I've ever worked on. It's really incredible. I'm having so much fun with it. And I just did another Harley story with another artist I like. I'm just having a lot of fun writing a lot of women in solo books and comics right now. So check them out if you guys like my work and thank you for listening. I'm hoping that this solo book about a woman will go on for quite some time as well. You never know in today's marketplace, but if you're listening and you liked this first issue, please make sure that issue two is on your pull list at your local comic shop. These sales numbers do matter, especially with a new title, especially with Captain Britain, a property that has not had a solo title since 1986. I'm really excited that we're back and here's to many happy returns. Thank you so much for joining us and congratulations. Oh, thank you. And I guess before I go, I should let everyone know that right now, as of 8.57 p.m., Betsy and Rachel are still gay. Still gay. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is... X-Men. X-Men.